says in John 17 that as we are one, you are one. And in the unity, then his spirit dwells in the midst of our unity. That as we are knit together into a habitation of his presence, his spirit comes and dwells amongst us. So Steve was on a rowing team. And if you could just tie it really quick, you got five minutes. So it's called outrigger paddling. And there's a six, it's, a, it's called a six man team, you know, outrigger canoe. And so I learned how to paddle there. And one of the, some of the profound things that the Lord was showing me through paddling was that, um, so paddling is all about sequence and timing. And actually that, um, that so it's, you, you, you pull with strength, but if you're out of uh, unison, if you're not in unity as you're paddling in, in your rhythm, you actually, uh, you create draft and you make the boat go slower. So if you have really strong paddlers that aren't paddling in rhythm with the rest of the six-person team, it actually slows you down. And so the fastest teams are the ones that first create like almost like a perfect in-sync rhythm, and then they add strength to that rhythm. And I felt the Lord like really showing like with, with ra- like what he wants to do in the body and what he wants to raise up in like in churches and in communities is like first like that rhythm with the Lord of like as we all get in sync with the, with the heart of the Father uh, and together as one, that, then, then from that place we can start to increase the strength of what God wants to do because the, the unity is so deep within the team. And so I feel like that's like that's something also too. We got to take a team to Israel uh, for during Passover last uh, in April, and they took us to a place called um, Tel Don, which is where uh, the dew of Mount Hermon flows. So if you're familiar with Psalm 133, it says the unity of the brethren is like the dew of Mount Hermon. So we had this woman take us there, and she was like, so we're we're going through this place, and there's this raging river coming down the mountain, and then we go off to the side and we start walking along the side of the river and there's all these little like streams that are coming out of actual springs in the mountain that comes from the dew that sits on the top of the mountain and there's the springs it's like you don't even know where they come from but they are little rivers that come from all over into this main river and the woman that took us there she goes do you see what the Lord is talking about in Psalm 133 like this is the unity of the brethren coming together from all different places and but coming into in one motion into the river of God of like the the river of the Lord of what he wants to do and that spring is actually the headwaters of um, of the Sea of Galilee which is crazy so it's like you know there's and and so it's so there's so much I think to to, to draw from there but I, I think the main thing that the Lord was showing us is like what God wants to do now in this generation is he wants to really unify the body of Christ and in our rhythm first starts like in our in our in our family First, we get that rhythm going, and that's a lot of what the heart of Iqbalu is, is that our mission statement is that you would thrive from within a family so that your family first would be the, the, the place of, like, of, of healing and, and heart connect and that, that everything you would do would first flow out of that healthy family that loves the Lord, and then that would create um, a generational blessing but also a, a generational love for the Lord that would go from your children and your children's children. And so, so it's, it, it's, it starts in family. Uh, well, it starts in us personally. It, it, it's, it's manifested in our family as we all love the Lord, and from that creates community. And then communities coming together in unity is like what God wants to move on and pour his spirit out on. So just uh, really excited to, to be here today, and I feel like what's even happening with Iqbalo and with Bless the City is like a taste of that. It's like God's like, yeah, we're actually all doing the same thing, going the same direction when we hear the Father's heart of what he wants to do in the earth. 
And so, uh, so I just want to share that with you guys. Thank you so much. So, oh, awesome. Woo! Thanks, Steve. Awesome. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Appreciate your, uh, your hospitality and your, your friendship. And we were talking this morning just in the prayer like that there's a, a partnering. And so uh, I told them, I told your pastor that we don't partner with anybody that doesn't come to Hawaii, so you have to come visit. <laughs> you can bring, you just bring all your friends. We'll, we'll work it out somehow. <laughs> so my wife and I, we, uh, we met in uh, a Bible school, 1981. We graduated in 1983, and uh, during, I remember during, during the school, at some point we were talking about, yeah, someday we should have a beach ministry in Hawaii, you know, that would be the ultimate ministry. And I mean, we're just joking around and kidding, but we actually live in Hawaii now. <laughs> we don't really do a beach ministry, I don't think. We, uh, yeah. There's, there's, there's hardly any beaches on the Big Island. It's, it's all lava rock, if you've ever been there. It's a, we live on a volcano, basically, with a little bit of sand around it here and there. But uh, getting to Hawaii was, was a journey. We, uh, it took me two years of praying and talking to the Lord and talking to my wife, and she was like, no, I'm not going to Hawaii. Absolutely not. We were living in California. We were part of a thriving ministry. We're busy and just feeling like we're right where we should be, you know, in the midst of training and discipling young people and, and seeing, you know, just vision for awakening and revival. And I don't know if any of you went to uh, the Azusa, what was it called? The Send? The Call. Azusa Now. Here we go. But we were right in the midst of that. But during that time, I was feeling like we're supposed to be in Hawaii. We're supposed to go there. And so finally, finally, the Lord prevailed. And uh, it's a long story, but my wife went grudgingly. <laughs> and she said, only one year. I'll go for one year only, but that's it. After that, we're going back to the mainland. And... Uh, we got there, and in the first two weeks, uh, I didn't even talk to her. I mean, we weren't mad at each other, but she was like, she was like, you know, she just wasn't ready to, she was kind of processing with the Lord. I would, we, we have a 96-acre farm, and I would be out working, and she would go out and just pray, go in the grove of trees out there, and, and she needed to get her heart right, yeah, and, uh, but it didn't take very long, just a few weeks into it, and she always said, it's like you're sending me to Siberia. Why would you? And I'm saying, Marion, have you ever been to Siberia or seen pictures of it? It's not like Hawaii at all. <laughs> but just the, she felt isolated and like we're leaving the purposes of God and going to the backside of nowhere to, to do what, you know? And uh, anyhow, she had a dream at one point where she... Uh, she was in Siberia, <laughs> and uh, the people there, um, the gist of the dream was she just really fell in love with the people. And uh, when she woke up from that, she realized that it, it was the people of Hawaii and that God was starting to knit her heart together with them. Well, um, it actually happened that the Lord knit the hearts of my daughters with two of these Hawaiian young men, so... Uh, we, in the same year, both, was it, well, year, one year after the other, we married off two of our daughters to Hawaiian young men, to two sisters, to two brothers. And this is, this is actually a, one of the 
brother's uh, siblings right here, part of our school. So uh, we literally fell in love and became family with the Hawaiians. And we started learning about the history of Hawaii. 19, uh, no, 1820 was the first, the first missionary came to Hawaii. Previously, King Kamehameha had united the islands. He had a, a priest that basically helped him to end the, uh, the, the whole system of fear and slavery and human sacrifice that they had going on for hundreds of years. And they, they ended that whole system. They, uh, they burned the idols. They, they destroyed all that stuff. And this was before, before the, the, the first missionary came. This was before the gospel showed up. They just knew that this had to happen. And this priest, his name was Heva Heva. And he, uh, he prophesied that at one point, that he said, this rock, is, he was pointing at a rock in Kona. He said, on this rock, our God will return to us in a black box in a language we don't understand. Which, you know, at that point, I don't know that that made a whole lot of sense to anybody. But when the missionary got off the ship and came and, and got out of the boat on that rock, and he was carrying a black box because that was his waterproof box for his Bible, he opened the box up and he started preaching the gospel to them. They all were like, this is that. This, you know, this is our God, his return. And so over the next couple of decades, the whole islands basically converted. You know, 96% of, of the Hawaiians were saved. So when we started learning the history and it, of Hawaii and we realized that God has sent us to a place where there had been a massive revival. The little town of Hilo had a 1,000 people in it, and the church of Hilo grew to 10,000. The people would come from other islands. They would come from all around. There was a, a missionary there, Titus Cohen. He would go, he would take, uh, you know, a tour around the island every so often, and he would go and preach in the villages. And the villagers got tired of him taking so long, so they just all moved to Hilo. And they had a 10-year, basically a 10-year camp meeting where they, they were said that you couldn't go anywhere in the fields without hearing children worshiping and praying and crying out to God. So they had a revival that was not limited to a church, but it, it, it was touching the whole islands. The presence of God was so real there. So I feel like part of what we're doing there is to pray and to, Lord, do it again. There's been revival on this land you know, in generations past, the generation that's that's now living there, they don't, they don't. Most of them don't even know the history. They don't know what's happened, and they they haven't experienced God in that way. So we're praying into that, and we're we're raising up young people that are that are going to carry that message to Hawaii and and beyond. If you have your Bibles with you, um, open it to Psalm ninety-five. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your, uh, your spirit that teaches us. And today we ask for open ears to hear, open hearts that the word will be planted in fertile soil. I pray for courage, Lord, for, for your people, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers, that we would walk out this, this life you've called us to of faith, this walk 
of, of abiding with you, of partnering with you. I just pray the blessing of your word to, to bear much fruit in our lives today and in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, I thank you. I'm just going to read Psalm 95, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with, our, with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also His. The sea is His, for it is He who made it, and His hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now, there's a transition right here, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little more, but there's just, just mark that point. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. And they said they are a, and said they are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger they will, shall not enter into my rest. So what's he talking about there in the second half of that, that chapter? It's the uh, children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And we all know the story, right? They, the, the, Moses went as the deliverer. God brought 10 different plagues on Egypt. Ten different times the people of Israel saw the power of God displayed, and he saw that basically God decimated Egypt without them lifting a finger, and he set them free. He, set, he, he gave them freedom. They, they basically plundered the Egyptians without any kind of battle, and they left with wealth. Now, they get out to, uh, to the Red Sea, and they're faced with the waters before them and the enemies behind them because Pharaoh came after them to get them back, and now they're in an impossible situation. We all know the story. What happens? Moses parts the Red Sea, right? They get across the ocean. Let's turn to Exodus. Or not Exodus. Yes, Exodus 17. I'll start in 17, but so in chapter 14, Pharaoh's pursuing. The Red Sea opens up. They walk through on dry ground. The Egyptians are drowned, and they, you know, their, their enemy is totally wiped out. That's chapter 15, 14 and 15. Chapter 16, the Lord starts to, to provide manna for them. Daily, manna would appear on the ground, and they would, they would pick it up. That also talks about where, in chapter 16, where they were thirsty. They came to a place, there was, the water was bitter. There was a pool of water, but they couldn't drink it. So Moses prays, and the Lord said, see that tree over there? Go throw that tree in the water. 
and the water became sweet so they could drink it. So they're seeing the power of God. They have a cloud that, that covers them by day to keep them from being too hot in the desert sun. They have a fire that burns by night to keep them warm. I mean, they're seeing the manifestation of, of the power of God day and night. Now what happens in chapter 17? Verse 1, when all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink, therefore the people quarreled with Moses, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? And then he said, why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the sons of Israel, and because they attested the Lord, saying, is he among us or not? So Psalm 95, go back to what we read before. The people of Israel, they had, they had seen the miracles of God, and now they're faced with another test. There's no water. They're in the desert. And what's the, what is their response? Now, what their response should have been, and this I'm preaching to myself here, so I've been in a few of these times where I'm going, God, why are you doing this to me? Nobody else has ever been there, right? What their response should have been, they should have said, come, let us sing, let's worship God. Remember, he parted the Red Sea. Remember, he gave us manna. Remember the faithfulness of God, how he met us at here and here and here and here all along our journey. Instead, they went to Moses and said, why would you bring us out here to kill us? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? We had everything we wanted there. <laughs> we were slaves with, you know. Their response should have been, God is good. In the midst of this, I'm tell, I'm, we all face these things. It may be a job. It may be a financial thing, a health issue, a relationship. Whatever struggles that, that each of us have in our life, you come to a place of impossibility. What is your response? Do you begin to worship the Lord and begin to remember the faithfulness of God? Or do you say, why did you do this to me? <laughs> what am I doing here? I mean, in a, and trust me, there have been a few times in my life where 
And I, the Lord is, he's been gracious to me. But it's easy to look at the Israelites and say, what was wrong with those people? I mean, they had a pillar of fire right there. And yet they're grumbling, why is God forsaken us? Is he among us or not? But then you start to look at your own life. I remember one time we had, we had left Oregon. We had moved to Florida. I was in uh, school. Had left my business behind. So we went from, you know, being, you know, doing busy in business and making money and living life to now we're in Florida. We have five children. I'm full-time in school, and we have very little income. And it's, it's like... Day by day, Lord, how are we going to do this? It's this. I mean, it's, it was in the natural. It wasn't. It was, the numbers didn't add up at all. And I was just like, how do we do this? So we came to a point where one Sunday night or one Sunday, we uh, we had for lunch. We Marion called it covered surprise. It's everything we had, and we just mixed it together, and it was enough for lunch and dinner. And there literally was, I mean, there was like a bottle of ketchup or something in the fridge, but there was nothing to eat for the next day. Uh, the gas was on empty in, in our vehicle. My son Levi was, uh, was the baby at the time, and there was, we had one diaper, and he was wearing it. And uh, we had no finances, and, there, you know, the mail's not going to come. It's Sunday afternoon. And we, uh, so I said, well, let's just walk next door to church to, uh, the, the, we didn't really go to that church, but we were going there that night because we had, <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm, I need a miracle, so I, need, I need to go be with God's people. So we went, and a guy comes up to me, he says, I want to give you this, and he hands me a Dake study Bible, because he knew I was in school, and I, I, you know, I was like, wow, that's awesome, thank you so much, that's amazing, and I'm thinking, I wonder if I could sell it, you know, <laughs> I need money. <laughs> So we get home after church, and it's, you know, it's 9 o'clock, and I'm trying to rally the family. Okay, we need to pray. And, you know, my wife, she looks at me, and she was like, you need to go pray this one through yourself. That, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to, I don't have any faith to help. <laughs> I'm going to drag you down. And so I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to go outside, and I'm just going to go out and take a walk and so anyway, I went out, and I'm walking next to, we live next to a church, and so I'm over there, I'm just kind of pacing back and forth, and I'm going, God, why did you send me here? I'm doing exactly what the Israelites did. I'm grumbling, and I'm complaining, and I'm whining. It's like, why have you done this to me? And I'm, you know, it, kind of going on with that for a few minutes, and then, and then I kind of said, wait a minute. Now, God hasn't changed I'm not in disobedience. I'm not in sin. The Lord is the same right now as he was six months ago in my life. And so I started remembering the faith. Now, this is a key. I started remembering the faithfulness of God. He met me at this place. He provided here. He spoke to me here. And I started remembering the faithfulness, remembering the goodness of God and finally, I, I stopped grumbling, I stopped complaining, and I stopped whining about my situation. And I just said, Lord, you're good. You're good. Thank you. Thank you that you lead me well. Thank you, God, that circumstances are not more than you can handle. 
I don't see the answer, but Lord, you do. And I just, I just, instead of thinking about me and my, you know, what am I going to do about, you know, Levi's diaper is like soggy now. We got to have an answer. I just left all that and I just started worshiping the Lord. I just started just declaring his praise and, and, and I knew at one point I knew that I've got my answer. There was just the old timers talk about it as praying through, right? You know, they, they pray until they know they've prayed through where they have, they've, they've, there's a bit transaction with heaven. And so I, at that point, I just was worshiping Lord, thanking him. I don't know how you're going to do it, but Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you've done and what you are doing right now. And I'm just there. I'm just praising the Lord. And a car pulls up, 10 o'clock at night, dark parking lot of a church. It's the, the guy, that the guest speaker that was at the church that night, and he says, hey, could you help me back up this car to hook up my trailer? And so I kind of helped him a little bit. And we talked for just, just a moment, and, uh, and then he says, he's ready to go, and he goes, oh, the Lord told me to keep this earlier, and I didn't know what for, but then he goes, I think it's for you. And he reaches in his pocket and pulls out a $100 bill, and he gave it to me. He said, you know, just be blessed. And so an hour later, I, you know, I left, uh, I left my family in the house. The kind of doom and, de doom and despair was hanging there. <laughs> you know? So I came back in an hour later, and I, I gathered them. I said, oh, do you, do you remember how we prayed for God's supply? And I pulled out this $100 bill, and it's like, here it is. He's supplied. And my wife's like, you know, did it fall out of the tree? How did, what did, how did you get that? <laughs> I've got many times in my life where the Lord has asked me to do things that are beyond my ability, beyond my understanding as far as how to logic it out, how to make it happen. And every time I've stepped into obedience to his word, he meets me there. So when you're faced with situations, when you're faced with circumstances that are beyond your control, listen, if you're hearing the word of the Lord, in that uh, verse 7, it says, today, if you would hear his voice. A better translation is, today, if you would obey his voice, if you'd obey the word of the Lord in your life. You will see his faithfulness. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 3 and 4, actually quote Psalm 95. Lord, I pray for our ears to be open to hear. None of us need another sermon in our life. We all need to, to live out the ones we've already heard. But Lord, I ask that right now in this moment that your word would bear fruit, that your word would bring hope, would, would bring encouragement, that would bring life. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to walk out this walk, that our hearts would be soft and tender before you, that when you speak your word to us, there would be a receptiveness in our, in our hearts. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 
through 11 is basically the scripture that is out of Psalm 95. And that what I want to draw out of it is the people of Israel, they saw the works of God. Now, the, the Lord provided water for them. Out that, that story I told you, the Lord, Moses struck the rock and the water came out and they went on their journey. A couple years later, they get to the promised land and the 12 spies go in and they spy out the land. They come back and they say, it's an amazing land. The fruit is amazing. It's huge, but so are the people. And so are the cities. They're fortified, and we're like grasshoppers, and, there's, you know, and, and we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. They're like giants. And uh, except for Caleb and Joshua, they said, yeah, all that's true, but God is with us, and he's given us this land. We, we should go and take it. God will be with us. He will fight our battles the other ten prevailed upon the congregation, even though they had seen all the power, the signs, the wonders of God, yet they turned back. Instead of going in and taking the land, instead of fighting, do you know that God gives you promises? It doesn't mean they're going to be served on a silver platter to you. It, he gives you promises so that you have courage to fight to go in and take what he's given you. Will it take effort on your part? Yes. Does he, you know, God's not afraid of some struggle. He's not afraid of sending you into battle because he's going to show your, his faithfulness to you when you're in the midst of the battle. It takes courage on your part to say yes when there's a giant in front of you, there's a mountain, you have no idea how to overcome this thing. You just say, yes, Lord, I trust you. So, you know what it says about the people, the ones that turned back, they said, why did he bring us here to, to, to slay us, to destroy us, to kill us in the desert? He said, you know what I'm going to do? That generation, those who spoke those kind of things, I'm going to give them exactly what they spoke. This is a key here. Listen, what are you speaking? What are you declaring over your own life, your own family? The Lord said, I'm going to give you exactly what you spoke. You, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. None of you are going into the promised land because you did not believe my word. You did not. They did not enter. Hebrews says they did not enter because of unbelief. They hardened their hearts. They didn't obey the work of the voice of the Lord. They didn't unite that with faith. And because of that, they died in the wilderness. I think we're a lot like the Israelites. <laughs> I really do. I think we, we have so much in common with them. We have the word of the Lord. We see, the, we see God do things in our lives, and then we come up to another situation that's that we haven't been through yet. It's an impossibility in our own mind. And, and we start to look at the problem instead of looking to heaven and saying, Lord, this is not too hard for you. You can do this. So I just want to challenge us today. I want to challenge you. 
What promises has he given you? What vision has he given you? What impossibilities are in your life that, that you have no way of doing this without God in your, coming through for you? That's really where life, in this, in this walk, the Christian life, we should not be dull and, and bored in our walk with the Lord. If you are, there's more. I'm going to challenge you. If you're, if you're in a place where you're at your wit's end, you don't know how to do this, you feel like God gave you vision for something, but it's not, you have no way to make it happen, that's perfect. That's right where he wants you. That's where your strength ends and his begins. That's where he wants you. <laughs> Because that's where you see the power of God displayed. That's where you see him come through when you can't. And I've, we've been there a lot of times. But I won't, I'm going to tell you just kind of one that I'm praying through right now. We, are, we have a 96-acre farm out there, like I said. Uh, it's, it's a 10-acre farm with, nine, with 70 acres of jungle. <laughs> so there's a, there's a whole lot of potential that is unused or un. Uh, I'm completed, yeah, yeah. But we got a lot of a lot of work, a lot of vision to uh, to create a whole mission base where we'll have students living on the land. We'll have a facility for for the. It's a working farm that actually will support the missionaries, the the ones that we raise up and train up, um, and just a lot of things that the Lord has put in our hearts to do. And we've been there for five years. A lot of good things happening, a lot of, you know, students coming through and seeing growth. A few years ago, I was talking to the, uh, it was owned by Lou Engel Ministries, and they were saying, you know what, this vision is awesome. We want this to happen. None of us feel like it's ours to do, though. We want to sell you the property. And it took a, took a lot of time back and forth. And finally, they got back to me a few months ago and said, <clears throat> the value of the farm and all the Equipment and implements, everything is about a million dollars. And but we want to sell it to you for for five hundred thousand, and we're gonna we're gonna go. You know, we'll give you till September twenty second, this coming September, to close on it. And uh, if you don't come through with it by that point, we're gonna put it on the market at retail value. And land in Hawaii is selling like. I mean, they could easily get what they want for it, but they, you know, because because of the vision, they want to to make it affordable for us. And then, uh, and I'm not taking an offering, by the way. But this is this is my mountain right now. This is where I'm at. I'm looking at this thing and going, ah, it's impossible. And I could start to say, Lord, why did you send me to Hawaii? <laughs> that I would, you know, to kill me in the wilderness. There's so many bananas and stuff there, you can't starve. It's, you can just walk down the road, you can eat avocados and bananas. But I could get an attitude of like, Lord, there is no way. I got like, you know, $5. <laughs> I need 500000 Or I can start to say, well, Lord, you provided for us when we moved to Florida you opened up, you gave me a free apartment in New York City within an hour of getting there from a total stranger. 
I mean, I've seen the faithfulness of God in my life. These are my monuments, my, my, my stones of remembrance. And I have to go back and say, Lord, you provided here. You led us there. You gave us favor here. You opened the doors there. I have to go there and say, God, this thing, this giant is no different. It will come down. So I'm, I don't usually share the stories that are where the paint's not dry, but we're right in the midst of this right now. So you guys can pray. You guys pray with us. And next time I'll come back and tell you the, the result of the story, the end of the story. But God is good. He's faithful. I just want to, I really believe he wants to encourage you. When you hear his word and you step into obedience, God is a God of covenant. When we say Lord to him, that means he is, he is in control. My life is not my own. I don't know that us in the West, I don't know that we understand that concept a whole lot because we, we're so used to having our independence and we're used to having, you know, this is what I want to do. This is my, my plan, my agenda, my goal. When you say yes to him, he could say to you, you know what, I appreciate all the schooling you did to be a, to be a lawyer, but I really want you to, uh, to go live in the bush in Africa and minister to the, the villagers. You know, he can tell you, take your life, whatever it is, and say, I'm going to direct it this way. So when I reach that point of saying, Lord, I'm in business, I've got this plan, but I surrender to you. What do you want me to do? And he said, good, give it all away, all your tools, all your livelihood, everything you've saved and worked for, give it all away and come follow me. And I told that to my wife, and she goes, that's not the Lord. <laughs> Who does that stuff? But we did. When you step into obedience of the, to the word of the Lord, covenant is like a two-sided coin. His battles are my battles. His will is my will, my desire, and my, my pleasure to walk in that. When I get into a situation because I'm walking in communion with him and fellowship with him in obedience to his word, and I get to a place of impossibility, I have leverage with the Lord, so to speak, because my battles are his battles. My needs are his needs. And I can cry out and say, Father, you've sent me here. Thank you for this impossibility because now you're going to do something. And every time he will meet you, every time he will meet you in the midst of that place, if you walk in total surrender to his plan, to his will, to his desire for your life, he will not fail you. The reason those that generation did not go into the promised land, because they did not believe his word. They failed to enter because of unbelief. Now, when you believe the word of the Lord and you step out on it, even though it doesn't make sense to your logical mind, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, everything inside of you is going. There's got to be something, you know, there's this, it's impossible. 
yet you say, yes, Lord, that's where God shows up. That's where, that is the place where you see God revealed. You see the power of his, of his hand in your life, and you see the victories happen. And the result of living a life totally laid down like that, Hebrews 4 talks about it, the rest of faith. There's a place where it, it's not based on my bank account. It's not based on circumstance or situation. It's not based on how good or I feel or don't feel. It's based on I trust my God. He's good. His loving kindness is, is for me. Every day, he's with me. I can totally rely on and trust on and lean on his, his word. And that brings a rest into my soul that, that you can't get anywhere else. You can have all the money in the world and be totally in turmoil. Yet you can have nothing and have complete peace and rest knowing that I got a rich dad. I don't need money. He's got all I need. Health situations, things beyond your control. He's good. You just start looking at that, at that mountain and you start declaring, God is good. The Lord is good and his mercies endure forever. When Jehoshaphat sent the, the worshipers out to battle, that was the battle cry. The Lord is good. His mercies endure forever. He's good in the face of a total impossible situation. He's good. With every breath, I will. we sang it this morning, with my last breath, with everything within me, as long as I'm able, I will declare the goodness of God. And what happens? There is a rest and a peace and a faith that wells up in you, and you see the kingdom of God manifest among you manifest in your life. And this is not just for pastors. This is for you. This is for all y'all to walk in it. Lord, ignite our faith, I pray. That our ears as we hear, that they would be united by faith. Lord, that each one of us in our own individual lives, our own individual families, that our hearts would be so stirred to walk in unity with you, with your purpose, that we would see the power of God displayed among us. I pray your blessing and your favor over this congregation, over the families. Again, I pray, Lord, courage, that we would have courage to walk out this calling on a life, that we would see the goodness of God in the land of the living, that we would see your goodness and your your provision in every every way poured out for our lives. Relationships healed, loved ones that are that are in darkness delivered, brought out. Lord, that we would see your faithfulness in every circumstance as our faith is united with your word.